I believe we're on a shift of consciousness. We're going through a shift in consciousness right now. And sexuality is one of the most powerful aspects of ourselves that we routinely negate and compartmentalize. So it is a storehouse of energy that is being locked away. For over 20 years, Karen Yates worked in Chicago in the performing arts as a director, actor, writer, and producer. Six years ago, she left the arts and moved into a deep exploration of sexuality and energy, in tantra and somatic sex education, and biofield tuning, a form of sound healing that addresses issues in the electromagnetic field of the body. Now she is the host and producer of Wild and Sublime, a live talk show and podcast about sex for all orientations, preferences, and relationship styles. She is also an intimacy coach for couples and continues to work in sound healing, where she is now developing her own energy system. Learn more at karen-yates.com or wildandsublime.com. Before we get started, a quick note. When we talk about Tantra in this episode, we're mostly talking about the neo-tantric Western movement. I want to be cautious that we preserve the autonomy of the historic Eastern tantric religious tradition, which is not typically what Western tantric education and practices teach. It's related. It's not the same thing. Karen, thank you for joining me this morning. I am really excited to be here, Jira. Thanks for having me. Karen and I go way back. I think we were trying to figure, you actually sent me a text recently. I was like, where did we meet? And I'm pretty sure it was like a poly cocktail event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we also should give a shout out to Peter. Peter makes things happen. A, re- a regular contributor to my podcast and Jara has been on my podcast as well. So I think that's where it came up of like, how do, how do we know each other? Right. How, did we begin, how did it begin? But, oh, you know, no, I know where it began. It began because you were having these discussion groups at your home. Was that it? Yes, about polyamory. And I was invited by someone. There you go. The reason I brought Peter up was the first time I remember seeing you, I think besides a poly cocktail event, I think you probably don't remember seeing me and you first remember like I was ingrained in your brain at my house, but I was, we were at a, um, a friend's birthday party who holds other kinds of parties and I'd brought Peter with me and you were there at the beach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure this is all fascinating to people. I think the point of this is that it's fun in a place like Chicago that you run into people in all sorts of different ways and then eventually become friends. So, yeah. so Karen does a lot of things around sex positivity, around bodies and healing and relationship messages and all sorts of stuff. And I I thought that she would be a really interesting guest to just talk about where she got, how she got here, how she got to the point where she like stepped up into the role of educator. So I start these like Krista Tippett does in On Being and asking just people like where, where they started. So what are your spiritual roots? Like, what did you grow up in? Yeah. Thank you for asking that. Um, I was aware from a pretty young age, and by that I mean eight, nine, ten, like maybe even as young as seven, that I didn't really belong to a spiritual tradition. And I knew that because I, at that point, was living in a a Catholic neighborhood, and I would say at least five families were Catholic. 
and I knew all the kids and everyone went to um, church and a lot of people went to parochial school uh, and I didn't. And I was aware of that. And I was also aware simultaneously that I was really glad about that, even though I had an attraction to the Catholic church um, as a child because of the grandeur and the ritual and the beauty of churches. Um, I really thought the rule structure was pretty interesting. The Catholic rule structure that you do X number of prayers and that gets you, that shaves time off in hell. (laughs) I mean, this is how it was explained to me by the kids, right? So, um, but that said, I grew up with my mom and grandmother and they, they had been Catholic or my grandmother was Catholic. So it actually was in play in my household, even though it wasn't alluded to. My mother by that point was an atheist. And my father that I saw, who I saw pretty regularly, um, my parents had split up when I was young, was uh, a Protestant. And so there was a time when he was like, well, I think it would be good if you went to Protestant church with me. So we went for a while and then we both kind of lost interest. (laughs) I bring that up because at a certain point in high school, I became interested in spirituality and I became interested in learning more about the spiritual traditions around the world because I wanted to know more about, is God real? Is there this omniscient, all-present being? And what do other people think about it? And so I, uh, and I was also kind of feeling like, I don't think there's a God. I don't think there is a God. And so I began um, studying other religions in high school on my own, you know, reading up on Judaism, Hinduism, which really turned me on, was really interested in all of the aspects of Hinduism and the gods and goddesses. And then I found Zen Buddhism through the work of J.D. Salinger. And that really interested me. And I would sit there and try to empty my mind. You know, I was reading Buddhist texts and Zen Buddhist texts, attempting to, to empty my mind and follow my breathing. And, and it felt incredibly challenging. And I didn't realize until much, much later, yes, it is challenging. It's not just you, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is challenging. And I was really daunted. And I'm like, I'm not getting this right because I didn't have any teacher, right? I'm just doing this on my own. And so that was, that was my childhood around spirituality. And finally, one night I had a dream. I think I was reading some Bertrand Russell at that point. I had a dream, atheist, Bertrand Russell, atheist. Uh, I, I think he's an atheist. And um, at that point, I had a dream that uh, yeah, where I heard this voice saying, who are you, who are you to, to say I don't exist? And I woke up and I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, okay. That's all to say that it really wasn't until college that I got ignited with a sense of spirituality, like ignited. And that was really through you know, it sounds cheesy to say, but like the new age movement, you know, this idea that we, I think it was like finding the, you know, when Shirley MacLaine wrote these, like her memoirs, um, I read them and I was like, wow. And then I found the works of Seth Jane Roberts, the channeler, the Seth books, there are like 10 of them about you create your reality. And that was it. That was it. I found those books and, and never looked back, you know, that this idea that we are we manifest our reality and our perception shapes our reality. That was, that's the clearer message that our perception shapes our reality. That was the beginning point for me. 
So how did it, so you found sort of a spiritual grounding in college. And is that when you started getting involved in the, um, the performing arts too? No, I didn't, I didn't get involved in the performing. I mean, I, I was glancingly involved in that. I knew a lot of people in theater, Sure. but it was in my twenties when I started doing just sort of here and there, I would do shows as an actor. And then in my thirties, I actually fully committed to the craft and as an actor, and then subsequently a director, I always knew I wanted to be a director, but um, that is when that happened. And what I became interested in at that point was the relationship with the body. So I wasn't really necessarily as much interested in hmm, the psychology of acting as much as the European movement traditions of acting and how the body has. Now, I know this is actually a distortion of Stanislavski because Stanislavski changed, revised his quote unquote method. But initially it was understood that Stanislavski, as you recreate these memories that are painful and that like fuels your acting. So it's a, it's a mental construct. That's actually not what Stanislavski ultimately was saying, but there's a whole other European tradition that the body can inform these emotional states or that the body can inform states. And I was very interested in that because it was far more for me, elegant and um, less taxing psychologically. Uh, And I began really looking into those traditions like Meyerhold and, uh, Jacques Lecoq and Laban, the Laban methods. And so that, and then I became interested in playback theater, um, which was a type of improvisatory theater where you told your own stories and people reenacted them on the spot. And that felt like something very potent. You know, the roots of theater, obviously most people know are in religion. And that felt like we were I was tapping into something really deep and profound stories, people's stories, recreating them, adding music. Um, and then when people saw their stories recreated in front of them, it, it was a powerful change moment for most people. And then to be the actor in it, inevitably you, whatever role you assumed, you had a direct connection to that character somehow internally. Feels like there's a lot of threads here that, that tie together, you know, this idea of being a sacred being and then being, being able to enact that part of that sacredness in somebody else by being a part of their story. So being sober is now an important part of your, your identity. When did your drinking start? Cause that obviously has to inform your, your relationship with your body. For too. sure. For sure. I was supremely lucky um, or fortunate, I should say. I began drinking in um, high school, but not on a daily basis. For me, it was, I was extremely shy and it was a way for me to connect to people. So it was more like parties when I went to parties or with my girlfriends, you know, at slumber parties or whatever. And, um, but when I got to college, it really, really kicked in because I was going to the bars and then drugs started and I had a pretty, pretty ingrained habit by the time I was a junior in college, uh, a daily habit. And I was starting to get extremely depressed, only realizing later, you know, alcohol is a depressant. And if you're given to depression, this is going to make it far, far worse. So I got sober when I was 23. And it actually had to do with this idea of a spiritual path. Because I, I told you just now that, you know, I'd found this 
these books. I was really on fire. And at that point, I realized you can take, as I saw it at that time, you can take the high road or you can take the low road. And if you want to develop yourself spiritually, you're going to have to come to a decision about this life that you're leading. And I'm not talking about people that use plant medicine and things like that, but I was very heavily involved in, in hallucinogens too. As a, and and I, I started them because I wanted this sort of spiritual experience, but it got away from me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and so I had this like moment of like, you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose what you want here. But as many people know who bought them out, the choice, you just don't sort of like sit there and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop. <laughs> That does not happen. The the choice is made for you. You know what I mean? You come to a really critical point where it's like, oh my God, I'm going to fucking die if I don't stop this. That And that was the moment. So I had this like high road, low road moment. And then six months later, you know, it, it was, it was a real, real awakening, you know, of like, Oh my God, I, I really am going to die if I, if I don't stop this lifestyle, not die because my liver is going to get, get out, like die because I'm going to get killed. You know, and I'm in Chicago. I'm a young woman drinking and like, it's not good. It's not good. Um, so it's important for my journey, of course, because it's super important because it really began for me, this path of not wanting anything to come between me and the experience. When I say experience, capital E, I mean, the sense of the divine, the sense of me-ness, like me as divine. And I felt like anything that started becoming a crutch in my life, that was a way to put a Band-Aid on a problem or a way to take me from power, my power, I needed to examine. And so there were a lot of behaviors I was in at that moment. I was smoking. I was uh, a codependent, smoking cigarettes. I mean, a codependent, um, you know, I had a problem with money. I mean, there were a lot of things that just had to be addressed. And I systematically just started addressing them. And I would say really the most important thing for me around my spiritual path is, is that codependency. It's this idea of looking outside for someone else to confer power on me or to validate me. And that ultimately over time became the most important excavation for me. So I went to a, uh, you know, I continue, I continue to go to a 12 step program for that. And it's been a remarkable journey um, to hold, hold to myself and to be able to set boundaries or become detaching with love from others that I might be in some sort of dance with. I'm curious, codependency, like, was this like a string of relationships or, I mean, was this, was this romantic relationships or? No, this is how I relate to everybody. (laughs) This is life. This is, you know, overextending yourself because you're doing something for someone else where they should be doing it for themselves perhaps, or, you know, attempting to fix managing control situations. It's a stance. For me, it was a stance. It was a way I was engaging in the world of giving away my power or building up other people when I needed to be addressing to myself. Does that make sense? So it was, it was, it was, it was systemic. It was completely across all of my life. And I, I sort of looked at it when I began recovery, 
I looked at it as concentric circles. Like the first thing that got healing was my relationship with acquaintances, then friends, then really good friends, then family and lovers, you know, as like the last, the the center concentric circle. I know where we're headed because I know you, when I met you, which is non-monogamous and um, open to these, you know, like being playful and sexual experiences. And it's interesting to me, like when I started left-handed journeys, the reason that I called it what I did was this idea that so many religious traditions are on these right-handed paths where you come to God or come to the divine through limitations and, um, what do you call it? What's the word? Um, rule structures, you mean? Yeah, like, yeah, rules, through rules. Whereas the left-handed path is one that embraces passion and embraces, I guess, like a maybe not exactly a messier way to the divine, but one that leans into desire in all these ways. And it's interesting that I feel like it, what, this is my guess. My guess for you is that you had to create a like a safe internal structure in order to allow for healthier freedom. Yeah, I was laughing as you were talking because it's like much of my earlier life and still to this day is based on discipline. Yeah, like yeah. hardcore discipline. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something I um which might be like, oh yuck, discipline, but mm, you know, you get up every day you do certain things. That's me. I get up every day. I do certain things. I notice the days I don't do those certain things. I don't feel as good. And a lot of, and I'm not saying that this is, that I don't examine these disciplines from time to time and say, Hey, is this still working for me? Because for a long time, I didn't question things. You know, I also had an issue with food. So for many years, and when I say many years, I mean like 12 plus years, I had a very rigorous way of eating in order to break free of a, a, a type of compulsivity, right? And then eventually I was like, okay, I don't think I'm going to cautiously experiment because I don't think that I need to be doing this quite as rigorously. And, and I don't, I don't anymore. I'm not quite as rigorous around that. And it's been okay. I say that as an aside, but discipline, as much as I chafe under certain types of discipline, um, have, has been very, very freeing, extremely freeing for me. Um, because I like what you said about creating a, a sense, a safe foundation in, inside. And I'm not, how can I put it? I'm, I don't, I'm not um, leg shackled to these disciplines at all. I don't feel anymore like, oh, I have to do this. Now, am I today, am I going to drink or use drugs? Highly unlikely. Do I, do I flirt with that? Not really. <laughs> you know, there's certain bottom lines like I don't need to go back to that. Like I'm already having some incredible internal experiences. I don't need a mood altering substance to get me to that zone anymore. I don't need to, or in my case uh, specifically, I don't need these things to comfort me or make me feel better because that's why I was using them back in the day. You know, to make my to to like take the edge off. That's why I was using them. Right. So it, it seems like, so a lot of your 20s, 30s, and 40s was around ridding yourself of certain crutches by developing disciplines around them or 
And I'm assuming it also does a lot of just internal work around why you need them. And for sure. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, if you're not doing that internal work and asking what, what's my trigger here? Because see, once you don't have the crutch, you have to address all the triggers <laughs> You have to be like, Oh, <laughs> why am I feeling that? Why am I feeling enraged right now? You know? <laughs> There's no beer. There's no beer or shot of tequila for, for the rage. At the same time, you're you're digging into theater, and which has to then be—I don't want to call theater healthy. Like I don't, it can be healthy. It can be a lot of things, but um, probably more authentic ways of 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 digging into your emotional life and your internal life. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I always saw theater as a spiritual path because it's so damn hard. Yeah, it's really hard. Like we we live in a culture that doesn't support art on any level. And so, and then when you're in theater, you're, there's a kind of a, again, you're being, the power brokers are conferring you you get in this show, you don't get in this show or, or as a director, there's other issues. So it's like, you're, you're always kind of having to walk a line and find yourself over and over again and not fall into the trap of like, the audience loves me. Was there a turning point that theater became started to become less important and you develop these other interests that you're a little more tied to? Now? Yeah, well, you know, what, what ended up happening was I moved out of straight theater. And by straight theater, I mean scripted, you know, a playwright writes a play and then a company takes that play and actors and director, right? I moved into um, opera as a, a director And then I moved into, I went to grad school and I began creating my own work because I was becoming much more socio, much more interested in sociopolitical statements through art. And I wanted to start creating my own work. And once I started doing that and becoming very interested in sound as a force in experience, I ended up after doing this for a while and being relatively successful. I mean, I was getting grants. I was able to do my work, um, really bottoming out on art. I just bottomed out. I just was like, I, I can't do, it came very quickly, very slowly. Like this is not sustainable for me um, energetically because being taxed and it wasn't, I wasn't making revenue. And um, I split up with my husband at that time and sort of like put me in this whole new zone. And that's when uh, I would say about a year after I split with my husband, I found Tantra. You know, I was beginning to do sex, sexual exploration, um, but I wanted something a little deeper and I knew Tantra existed. And that was the first path I took of like seriously working with energy and then biofield tuning, which is a type of sound healing I do quickly came right after that. And so the two were sort of together in my life and really plunged me into this place where I was working with energy in my body, frequency. And it was very powerful. It still is very powerful. And, and from there, I got my certification. And I, I use the word certification. I don't know. What is certification? From a Tantra school on the West Coast of the US. You know, I, I look at kind of the way Tantra is taught is it's, it's fairly distorted. I don't think these are this, these, uh, this is what Tantra was like millennia ago, but I think it's, it can be very useful to begin locating erotic energy and energy in the body period. 
like putting energy in the body and experiencing energy in the body. I think it's extremely useful for that. But I began becoming very interested in somatic sex education, which is helping people work with trauma in the body, hands-on work, um, somatic work, basically helping people um, work with trauma in the body and, and work through maybe obstacles to pleasure. That became very interesting to me. So then I went to an institute, Institute for the Study of Somatic uh, Sex Education in Canada and um, did their program. That has been wonderful. And that led me in the course of that, that led me to create Wild and Sublime, the show, getting back to theater and performance and then the podcast. Yeah, it's interesting. It feels like a full circle in a way. Yeah. And all this too then was also a relationship with the body, right? Different ways of experiencing the body. I think everyone has a different way of experiencing energy. Some people, it's a visual experience. Some people, yeah, for some people it's very visual or, or they're, they're seeing things or they're, they're experiencing things in different ways. For me, it's very body-based, you know, waves of energy, or, you know, when I work on clients as a biofield tuner, I can feel energy shift in them. And then me, I'm experiencing everything in my body and working with my body and their body simultaneously. My body becomes kind of a doorway to their experience. And it's a little hard to put words to this, but it's a kind of, mm, I guess it's sort of emergence of energy in that I and moving energy with frequency and experiencing it in my body, knowing <laughs> it's very, it is very hard to describe, but it's an internal sense. It's an internal sense. It's both mental in my mind's eye and bodily, bodily sensations when the energy has landed for them, when they have accepted energy. So there's all this um, professional and educational ways um, into the erotic and into the body. And then I'm assuming that throughout all this time, you're also then just personally exploring your relationship with the erotic and, and sexuality. Can you talk about your personal journey towards sex positivity, what that looks like? Yeah. You know, I, I would have to say that my, really the thing that kind of kicked everything off is I had a partner with whom I had a great sexual relationship. And I began seeing that I had this construct about placing a ceiling on pleasure that I had to like push through. And I don't mean that like, you know, just break through. And I did. And that led me to other types of sexual interactions, you know, like group interactions. And that was a very powerful thing, starting to go to like group sexual events because it sort of stripped me of this sense of, oh, I've got to look a certain way, or I've got to be cute, or, you know, any last vestige of lack of body confidence sort of got thrown out the door the minute I was at group events and just seeing people fuck and do stuff. I'm like, oh, we're bodies in space. I mean, it, it felt sort of theatrical. You know, when you're in theater, you're very accepting, like, you know, just sort of rolling around on the floor and doing stuff. And I'm like, oh, here we are again, just kind of like being ourselves, being, having sex, you know? And I will also say that, you know, I alluded to the food thing earlier on in my life and I was extremely heavy. And by this point, I'd, I'd lost a ton of weight 
And I really felt these, ex- these experiences were just bringing me more and more into my body uh, in a very healthy way. And, and Tantra did the same thing. It was just, I was just sinking deeper and deeper into body acceptance and being in my body. And I can't even remember what you just asked, but it's like my personal journey. Yeah. It was just like, I was, it was, it was just so helpful and I felt more and more free. So at at that point I was, I was already starting to explore polyamory and open relationships. Uh, And I continue to do so, but I'm also kind of like, like anything we're talking about discipline earlier. I keep checking in. I'm like, well, what do you want exactly here? You know, I've, I've tried on polyamory for, for a while now, for a number of years. And I'm like, you know, I don't have an anchor partner. And I'm like, yeah, I think, I, I think I'd like that. I think I'd like more of a primary relationship in my life. You know, I, I don't want to make it all hierarchical, but I would like someone in my life that is, I have a meaningful relationship with someone. I don't have that right now. I mean, I am doing, I've got a lot on my plate. I don't think that's an excuse, but I'm like, oh yeah, how would I fit in a relationship? <laughs> it's like a really big relationship. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. Did I answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Right. So this was after you split with your husband and you're, um, this is around the time then that you're moving away from straight theater and you're finding Tantra and digging in that you're also then, it sounds like that's when you started exploring through these parties and stuff that um, finding a sense of body positivity or body acceptance through um, seeing just bodies and pleasure. Yeah. And it, but it wasn't even like I was sitting there excavating, like, Oh, am I, how, how do I feel here? Am I, am I comfortable? It, it was just, it was very, it felt really natural and organic, you know, it's just like, yeah, this is the way it should be. Yeah. Let's, let's do this. This, <laughs> this is cool. This is really great, you know? And I'm not, you know, I always have to like do my PSA. I'm not saying this is for everybody. <laughs> right, right. But for me, it was. It was like, a, it was really, it felt really groovy. It felt really like, yeah, this is a good thing. And that's to say that I don't like, I'm not really engaging in that nowadays as much, you know, even pandemic notwithstanding, you know, it's like, okay, th- there was a moment when I was doing it a lot because it was important. And now, there are other things that are important. So there was that. And then in the workings is, is, you know, toward my um, Semitic sex ed certification and starting the show, I was already starting to form different alliances with different folks. And the show brought me in contact with so many people and communities like the kink community, you know, sex therapists. So the show became wild and sublime as I began the show um, in 2018 it became sort of a hub and there were all these spokes leading to the hub. And it became almost like a, as I saw it every month when I produced it live. So it's a talk show, right. With entertainment. And so I was doing these panel discussions and I am doing these panel discussions because the show's starting again, people kept coming back to the show every month and then post-show become like this networking event. (laughs) People would talk and they would want to communicate what they'd heard. And it became so enlivening, realizing that there was this thing going on. Like there was, there was this really juicy vibe that was happening where people were like electrified by what they were hearing on stage because it was sex positive. It was like, Hey, it's cool. It's so let drop the shame. It's cool. And people just wanted to talk afterwards. They wanted to talk about their experience. And then folks in the sex communities were meeting up with each other and chatting and saying, Hey, how you doing? And it, it became really lovely. 
And I really, I love that aspect of the show. Where did the idea of it come from? Yeah. Like most of my ideas, they're just straight up downloads. You know, I was sitting in my apartment and I was like, I want to do something. I want to do something public facing. And I wasn't even thinking of a performance. I was thinking of like a workshop and this whole idea just hit me, just came in whole, almost wholesale, like the whole thing. And I began working on it pretty quickly. I didn't let it sit in my brain too long. I'm like, this is, this is a great idea. You got to do something here. Where are the spiritual aspects of this for you? The spiritual aspects for me are, I believe we're on a shift of consciousness. We're going through a shift in consciousness right now. And sexuality is one of the most powerful aspects of ourselves that we routinely negate and compartmentalize. So it is a storehouse of energy that is being locked away and rule structures and religious concepts. A lot of things get placed on it. And what we're doing is we're locking up our power. We're locking up huge swaths of our power. And so for me, that what the show does is it says, hey, come out of your cage. Come out of the cage. You don't have to be um, living in shame about your desires whatever they are. You don't have to be living in shame about what's happened to you. You can learn how to relate your needs. You can learn how to cooperate, have cooperative sexual um, sensation-based interchanges. You can have pleasure, you can have sensation, and it's all okay. And I think that is what people are responding to. And that's what people, people are like, wow, this, this is about acceptance. How are you personally claiming your power? Right now, um, I am, that's a really great question. Right now, how am I personally claiming my power? I am developing my own energy system, which also kind of came in on a massive download over time. And as I work more and more with energy inside of myself, I'm seeing like where I limit myself. How it's happening for me these days is I'm speaking up more. I mean, it might seem like, oh, she speaks up a lot given, you know, and I'm like, well, (laughs) you know, I'm speaking up more where there's moments where it's like, I'm tired of this. I got to say something. If I don't say something, it's going to just, this this situation in this relationship is just going to keep on happening. I know that sounds super basic, but I think it's easy to get scared and be like, oh, this is a scary moment. Yeah. I mean, I I would say that's probably the, the biggest thing. And stepping into a larger sense of self, stepping into like, I'm gonna, I'm not going to hide again. You're, I, I know people are like, what do you mean? You, you have a show, like how the hell are you hiding? I think there's, you can hide in plain sight, right? <laughs> you, can, you can hide in plain sight and uh, I'm aware how I'm hiding. Okay. Let me just put it that way. I'm aware where I'm hiding. Well, we, we develop these public faces too, that we hide behind. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a, pers- it's a persona nothing more, nothing less. So the last thing I want to talk about, um, I had you on um, a show for rebellious or an event to talk about menopause. And I think that's something we, we definitely don't talk about enough. Right. I guess both like how menopause changed you and, and where your power is on the other side. I am uh, fortunate in that I did not have a, a really hard menopausal journey. I know a lot of female-bodied people do um, around 
you know, fluctuating hormone levels and just the whole thing. And yes, my body has changed, but I didn't have like a really gnarly experience with it there. I mean, I would say the first thing is I had to sort of reorient to various types of pleasure and I became much more conscious about how is the orgasmic state occurring in my body? Like, I mean, one thing that was great about Tantra is it just made me way more able to achieve pleasure states in all different levels of pleasure states. And as well as the work I do in biofield tuning is, you know, there's pleasure states in that as well. So that I already had that going for me, but I had to become a little more conscious when I was in orgasmic places of like, okay, it's different now. I don't know if I'm liking this as much because it doesn't feel as intense. And then I like, I basically say that I rewired my system through conscious placement of attention. And what I mean that is like through breath, I felt like I had to rewire my system through conscious attention. And what does that mean? As I say that, as orgasmic energy was going through me, like really directing it consciously through my body and kind of re, um, redirecting and creating pathways of pleasure that might not have been there before or rewiring or reconnecting aspects that might have gotten a little unconnected through this change in the body. And so wow. that is what happened. So there was like, there was a real conscious um, conscious application. And so that might seem like, what the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> well, what I'm talking <laughs> about is when a person, I think, or I should just say me, as I got to more and more awareness of my energy states, more aware of my, my personal power that I hold in energy, then I was never looking for someone else to do it for me. I became aware that pleasure is my birthright and I can develop my capacity for pleasure, be it in mindful erotic practice by myself, um, through working with energy as it moves through my body. And I have tools now to do that. And I have the ability to consciously manipulate energy. That is everyone can do it. Basically, this isn't some specialized witchy poo thing I've got going. Like everybody can <laughs> do this. It just requires um, discipline. <laughs> <laughs> discipline, mindfulness, tutelage, you know, tutelage. I, I didn't want to be the, the kid on the pillow attempting Zazen. You know what I mean? I just, <laughs> tutelage is important and um, putting yourself in the path of instruction is important. And in terms of the menopause thing, no one was really telling me about that. I just kind of figured it out. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I reject this idea that my orgasms aren't going to be as awesome because I'm older. I fucking reject that. <laughs> <laughs> When you're talking about tutelage, like, I mean, what recommendations do you have for people? I mean, what should they start like Googling, you know? So there is a fair amount of videos on orgasmic breathing. I think that is a great place to start. Barbara Corellis 
I think Barbara Corellis and their Urban Tantra book and workshops, I didn't, I have not taken a workshop from them, but I think their book, Urban Tantra, is really great because it doesn't genderize Tantra. And, but it does bring in a lot of work around energy and breathing. I think that's a great starting point. And I would say, I think Barbara is starting up workshops again soon um, in New York. I, I think that kind of work is great. I think if you're going to go the more, the other Tantra path, more heteronormative Tantra, you just got to be, got to go in with your eyes open. There's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of shit coming down. If, if you're sensitive to that, some people aren't sensitive to it and that's fine, you know, but if you're like, oh, I don't want to really live in the binary of you find, you can still find Tantra. I think good Tantra instruction out there that is not like binary based. And by the binary based, I mean, I'm sure everyone who's listening to you knows, I mean, like, it's more like the masculine and the feminine, right? But I like to see it as like electromagnetic. Well, and I think also just being where you're being conscious that this is a place where a lot of, there's a lot of manipulation and, and power. Mm, yeah. Just because someone says they're a teacher does not mean that they're qualified or it does not mean that they should, they have permission to touch you, et cetera. You know, there's a lot of pitfalls, but then there's a lot of good stuff, you know? Right. What do you call that? Like um, being really conscious of red flags? For sure. I think if something starts feeling weird, like that is the moment to be like, okay, hold on a moment. But yeah. Yeah. I have Urban Chandra. I, I love that book. I have. I guess I should say I, I tend to call things uh, I tend to call it neo tantra in order yeah me too separate it from but there's still but there's something I mean there's something to be found in these neo tantric traditions yeah I think we covered a lot of ground do you have any last thoughts anything that we didn't talk about that you're like damn this is important oh wow you know you said you're going to ask me what the erotic is and uh, yeah. And so I was like, what do I think? You know, I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I don't know what to say. But I did come upon something. And I, I think, but it does sort of tie up with everything we're talking about. I think the erotic is an invitation to explore the mysterious adventure of ourselves. And my life has been pretty I've had a magnificent adventure. And I would invite people to really explore themselves and look to themselves for the adventure. I'm not saying this isn't about like independence or self-sufficiency or like turning away from other people, not at all, but there's, there's so much juiciness inside. There's so much where, where each of us are really unique and, you know, to build a magical relationship with self is the greatest journey possible. 